Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this sermon. You can find all our sermons at our website, holycommunion.net. In the name of the one true and living God, amen. Please be seated. And today for Father's Day, we hear the story of Jesse's son, Solomon's father, and Saul's heir, David. And David is one of the most storied figures in the Bible, and this story is perhaps the most famous, the story of David and Goliath. But before we dig into the Bible, a moment of personal privilege. Today is particularly meaningful for me. Father's Day is doubly celebrated in our household. Our son over there has two dads. And this week, we were reminded by a Supreme Court decision that not everyone endorses our family structure. The case involved foster and adoptive services in Philadelphia, but it hit home for us. In Missouri, most adoptions through foster, most foster placements, happen with religious agencies who choose to discriminate against same-gender couples. And so finding an agency that would work with us on our adoption ended up being complicated by so-called religious freedom. So when the news of the decision this week hit, I heard from a number of folks in our congregation. Thank you for your words. After thinking on it a little while, here's what I know. There are thousands of kids in this country who need family support. Our foster system is broken. It's critically underfunded, which means it is also understaffed. There are heroes out there who are working in foster care, social workers, court advocates, case managers. They earn far too little and carry far too big of a load, each of them. I also know some amazing foster parents, some of them in this very church, who manage all the appointments, visits, court hearings, and the ongoing frustrations of the system. And they are heroes for the kids in their care. Here's something else I know. There are some amazing LGBTQ plus people in this city, in this country, who would be incredible parents. There are so-called straight allies as well. The more our religious institutions belittle and abuse the queer community, the more religion is used to make people doubt the validity of their identity, of their love, the more we endanger kids. We endanger queer kids directly, and we rob them of potential parents and caregivers who would be champions. For me, The saddest part of the news of this whole case was the Catholic agency saying that no same-sex couple had ever applied to be parents with them. Tells you a lot. So today, if you hear nothing else, hear me say this. Don't let the Roman Catholic Church or the Southern Baptist Convention or any other small-minded religious institution out there define religious freedom for you. And at all costs, don't let small-minded people define love for you. Our world needs more love than these institutions are willing to admit possible. 
No religious institution, no religious institution has ever been able to fully grasp God's love. We prove the boundaries wrong by celebrating the beautiful families who are raising incredible kids. We prove the rules wrong by loving beyond them. We win through more love. That's how we knock the blinders from eyes, with more love. So let's talk about David. The story is so well known that we use it for shorthand. No doubt some today will compare Representative Sheila Jackson Lee's work to get Juneteenth recognized as a federal holiday as a David versus Goliath story. If so, let's pray for more reforms. Let's hope that the symbolic victory is followed by concrete changes. But still, the comparison is made because we love stories of the small overcoming the great. Think about how many times you've heard the name of this story, David and Goliath. This morning, I want you to ask yourself, was David and Goliath really an upset victory? How you answer that question matters a great deal. We could have added another 20 verses to the start of this reading, I spared Brad and I spared you. Uh, most of those verses are about Goliath. He has a giant spear with an iron point that weighs 15 pounds. Goliath wore bronze armor weighing 125 pounds. He's more than nine feet tall. The scripture goes on and on about the giant. But I want to ask this morning, is the Bible intentionally messing with us? There are times when Scripture will pull your leg on purpose. Be careful. And remember last week, when we got into this first book of Samuel, when we were first introduced to Jesse's boy. Young David was so small, his father didn't bother to bring him along when the prophet came to choose a son to anoint. There's one verse from that story you have to keep in mind as you read today. As Samuel looked at one of David's impressive siblings, God says to the prophet, have no regard for his appearance or stature. I haven't selected him. God does not look at things like humans do. Goliath comes in the very next chapter. And yet, we're all convinced that David and Goliath is about the triumph of an underdog. We look on this story the way humans have always looked. Like Saul, the doomed king, we are intimidated by the height and flashy weapons. David doesn't blink. David knows God is with him from the jump. So does the Bible see this as an upset? Or is Scripture trying to get us humans to see things differently? Does God measure strength differently? As the father of a toddler, I can tell you mighty things can come in small packages. You've heard a little bit this morning. Is this why David says, God does not save by the sword and spear? Or to quote that earlier passage again, humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but God sees into the heart. The disciples on the boat with Jesus today can't help but see as the world sees. Jesus is asleep on a pillow through the wind and the wave. Though the boat is sinking, 
And the disciples wake up Jesus and say, don't you care that we're drowning? Now, I know it's fun to imagine Jesus' response as callous. I've done that with some of you in Bible studies. We've empathized with the emotional disciples and said, yeah, I would wake Jesus up that way too, the fink. I've preached a sermon or two like that. But as I get older, I'm identifying more with the words of Willa Cather. She once wrote, There are some things you can learn best in calm, and some in storm. There are some things you learn best in calm, and some in storm. Sometimes the storm is also a teacher. There's always another perspective. And sometimes another perspective is exactly what you need. Sometimes we need to take a breath before we get carried off by the evaluations and emotions of the world. Sometimes we need to take a break, even in the thunder, a pause to pray and ask, how does this all look to God? In the spirit of these stories from the Bible, let me offer just one more reflection One last reflection for me in Pride Month. Last Saturday was the fifth anniversary of the mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub. And last week, Ari Shapiro, the NPR reporter, reflected in an article in The Atlantic on what it was like for him covering the story. Shapiro flew down to Orlando the day after the shooting five years ago, only to realize he'd been to Pulse before. As a young reporter, a decade before, he'd spent a year in Orlando, and he talked about finding friends and community at Pulse. This is what gay bars have done for people across cities and generations, Shapiro writes. They're havens for strangers, places to make new friends, anchors of community, and oases of safety in a hostile world. Gay bars helped birth the fight for LGBTQ rights, and they provided meeting places for AIDS activists. They have been secular churches for people rejected by organized religion. And they'd offered a cure for the loneliness and isolation that have characterized so much of queer life over the past century. Secular churches for people rejected by organized religion. I've been sitting with that phrase for the last week and a half. I'm about to take a break from this pulpit. After six years serving as your rector, it's time to get a little space, to slow down, to reflect. After what has absolutely been the most challenging year in my 10 years in ministry, I'm glad for the break. I know this is a great privilege, and I'm grateful to you, the congregation, to my colleagues on the clergy and staff, and to our vestry for offering it to me. You can read more about the sabbatical in my letter to the congregations. We emailed it out this week. There are copies in the entryways, and it will be mailed to everyone in the congregation. In the letter, I encourage you, as much as you are able, to use this summer to get some rest, too, to get some space to get out of your house, out of your normal patterns. I want you to know, I'm already thinking about what this church will be up to when I'm back. 
I'm convinced that as small as we are, Holy Communion, we are mighty. As strange and unique as this little church may seem at times, we are needed. There are so many people out there who have been rejected by religious institutions. There are so many people who are tired of hearing religious authorities talk about denying communion to the uncompliant. Jesus broke bread to give sustenance to those who hunger for justice. We may seem small. After the pandemic, our numbers may not look like what they used to, not yet, maybe not for a while. It may take us all a little time and a little rest to be ready for what is next. But friends, I know God is calling us to take brave steps together. I'll see you soon. I will be praying for you in the meantime. There are plenty of Goliaths out there. There are plenty of shiny, slick, powerful forces, and the world is very impressed. But don't confuse largeness with rightness. Don't equate a win in the Supreme Court with God's endorsement. For that matter, don't confuse an institutional church's opinion with God's. God doesn't see as humans see. The way through the storms of hate and bigotry is now and ever shall be calm, expansive love. Amen.